words in the Lord's Prayer. And in, in that, Jesus was not telling us the exact words to pray, but it is giving us a pattern to pray. It is fine to repeat the Lord's Prayer that we all do. Once in a while, we do that. Uh, as long as our hearts and minds are engaged. And if not, it simply becomes another form of what we just talked about last week, vain repetitions, which Christ previously forbade. So let me invite you now, as today I'm going to touch on the, the, the first word, our Father. I'm going to touch on that. And we have titled this sermon called The Prayer of Connection. Our Father. So let me just invite you to say your Lord's Prayer together with me. And if you're not familiar with the words, it is there, but you can say it in your own version that you're familiar with, it is fine, all right? This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgives us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done gives us our daily bread, forgives us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. There are two sets of three. If, we are, if I may put it this way, the first set of three is God's word. Yeah, it's talking about looking to God and say, God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then the next set of three is us word. God's word. And us, word, gives us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. God, word first, and then down to our requests. And I think the order gives clear insight on the purpose of prayer. For many, prayer is often an attempt to selfishly seek the glory and get their will done. However, prayer, the Lord's Prayer teaches us primarily about God's glory and His will. I want you to observe two things before I move to the, the word our Father. The Lord's Prayer is a great prayer because it is structured in such a way that it, it reminds us to steer clear of self-centeredness. Did you realize that it's all plural? Our Father, not my Father gives us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptations. It is all in plural. And then another thing about this model of prayers is that it, is, it focuses on life on every angle, past, present, and future. Look at the request, at the us word request, gives us our daily bread. It is present. Forgives us our debts, that is our past. Lead us not into temptation. 
and that is future. So it covers all aspects of anger for here, the life here on earth. David Jeremiah, an American preacher, said there's no better teaching on prayer than the Lord's Prayer. It is perfectly in balance. It teaches us who God is, who we are, and how to come to Him in prayer. This morning, I want to touch on the word our Father. Jesus began by teaching His disciples how to address God. And He said, Our Father in heaven. As we study the Lord's Prayer, we must begin by seeing it from the Jewish eyes. Because after all, Jesus at the start is teaching His disciples, they are all Jewish, and teaching them to address God as Father. In the Old Testament, the word Father only appears 14 times. One, four. In the entire Old Testament of 39 books, the word Father only appears 14 times. And, and it is always referred to Father of the nation of Israel, but never in a personal way. You will never read anything from the Old Testament of an individual Jew addressing God as Father. In the 14 times that appears in the Old Testament, it is Father as in over the nation of Israel, never individual. So the people of Israel had a filial relationship with God, but it was national, not personal. Never in a personal way. God's fatherhood in the Old Testament always of Israel, not in a personal way. Let me give to you some example. For example, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. You are our father. We are the clay. You are the porter. We are all the work of your hand. It's plural. It's we. As a nation, you are our father. We are your clay. You are the porter. We are the work of your hands. And then back in Exodus, when God delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt, He adopted the nation of Israel as a son. And that's what it says, Exodus 4. Then say to Pharaoh, because Moses is wondering, who should I say who you are when I approach Pharaoh to ask him to allow, to, re to release the people? He said, well, I'll say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. So, no Israelites personally call God Father ever. For a Jew to call God Father would have been considered irreverent and even blasphemous. Cannot. Let, let me tell you, to show you how much they reverence God's name, when the scribes who copied the Old Testament scripture wrote the word of God, Yahweh, you know what happened when they wrote the word Yahweh? they have to discard the pen. They have to get rid and throw away the pen because 
They reasoned that once it had been written the word Yahweh, the pen was disqualified to write anything else. So when Jesus said, they would have thought, when Jesus said, you address God as Father, I tell you, they must have fallen off the chair, if that is how their expression goes. They would die. How can you call God Father? No one called God Father. And that is why in the New Testament, when Jesus burst into the scene in John chapter 5, you see the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. This is what happened in John chapter 5. Oh, I may not have that. I might have missed that. In John chapter 5, let me, let me, give to you, uh, uh, let me read to you. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leader began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Why? Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. So that's why they pursue. How can you call God father? No one will do that. No one. And therefore, they want to kill Jesus. And Jesus, even later on, says something that even shocked them. You know what he said? I and the father, we are one. And that literally, they died. They died, literally gone off the wheel. No wonder they want to kill Jesus. And there are many, many times Jesus prayed to God in the New Testament and always addressed to God as Father, except one occasion. Except one occasion when Jesus didn't address God as Father. And that was when He was on the cross. On the cross, He mentioned twice. Once He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. And then, the final moment, He said what? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's the only time in all of Jesus' prayer in the New Testament that He did not address God as Father. And so when Jesus encouraged His disciples to call God Father, He was granting them His status as sons. And in fact, Christ referred to all who obey God as family members. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, uh, when Jesus was very busy and then His mother and His, his uh, siblings uh, were standing outside wanting to speak to, to Jesus, and then He replied to Him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mothers, here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus' teaching on God being our Father was such a radical departure from the Old Testament law and Jewish tradition that many theologians call this myth the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is the major difference. Why is it new and not old? Why is it a new covenant and not old covenant? It is precisely because of this that you can call God Father. J.I. Packer, one of the finest theologians, died about two years ago, uh, put it simply in his book, Knowing God, 
which he wrote in 1973, is one of the books that actually impacted my life, uh, Knowing God. And in the, in the book, he said, what is a Christian? And this is his answer. What is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. But I want to read to you the context and the entire quote because that is the conclusion of what he has been talking about. Let me, let me read to you this part. He says this. He says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his hope, that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And then his conclusion is, what is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. That is the distinctively difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. That we can call God Father. And so with the remaining time that I have, uh, I want to give you three points very quickly. I won't go into very details. What was Jesus attempting to tell his disciples when he teaches the disciples to address God as Father? Number one, I think among all things, many things that Jesus wanted his disciples to know, the first one is to tell the disciple God is a person. Last night I was at a, somebody's place. I overheard someone saying something, I don't know who, say, may the force be with you. God is not a force. God is not Star War. God is a person. It is not force. It is a person. But the next question we ask is when Jesus said, Our Father, is God male? Is God a male? Is God man? When we call God our Father, are we referring to God as a man? Is God actually male? I mean, of course, when we say the word father, what comes to your mind? Your earthly father, right? But are, you a, but are your earthly fathers a good picture of your heavenly father? Is God like them? It depends. For some of us, the word father brings up feelings of comfort and security. But for others, just his look alone can send shiver down your spine. You might say, if God is anything like my old man, I don't want to have anything to do with him. So when we say God, when Jesus is trying to introduce the, the disciples, say, our Father is God male. There are many, many female images of God in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Plenty, plenty. Uh, 
God was described as mother in, Hebrew, in Hosea. God described as a mother bear, that uh, like a bear that robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and tear them asunder. Or Deuteronomy described a mother eagle. Or Deuteronomy chapter 32, God gives birth. God grows like a mother giving birth in a sense. So there are many images of uh, female kind of version in, in the Bible about God, God. But I want to tell you that God is not male. I think uh, Carl Henry has a very helpful note on this. He said, the God of the Bible is a sexless God. When Scripture speaks of God as He, the pronoun is primarily personal and generic rather than masculine and specific. It emphasizes God's personality in contrast to impersonal entities. In other words, Carl Henry is saying that when the Bible talks about God as He, it is not saying that God is masculine as opposed to feminine. It is saying that God is personal as opposed to impersonal. He is a He as opposed to an It not a he as opposed to a she. Are you following me? So when we say God as Father, is primarily to refer Him as a person. The he is to describe Him as a person and not an it, an entity, a, a force or something like that. So God Someone says this, when the biblical images of God as father, bridegroom, and other masculine metaphors are rightly interpreted, it is clear that there is nothing sexist about them. Just as the kingdom of God does not look like a mustard seed, nor taste like yeast, but acts like both natural relationship between a divine male progenitor and his offspring. When Israel is called God's son or his unfaithful wife, these parables do not imply that the character of God is predominantly masculine. They are expressions of Yahweh's infinite love for his chosen people expressed in terms of a patriarchal society. But of course, we have to admit the fact that ultimately in the New Testament, God came in the person of Jesus Christ who is male. God somehow in His sovereign will chose to reveal Himself in that manner in the patriarchal society at that time, in that form and in that manner. But God is by no means a male. By no means. He is a person. So when Jesus, I believe when Jesus first and foremost want to teach His disciples to pray and address God as our Father, He is primarily saying God is a person. He's a person. Secondly, God is accessible. The accessibility of God. When, when, God, when Jesus taught His disciples to, say, to address God as Father, He is actually telling them, now there is a way to access to this God. Unlike the Old Testament time, where only once a year the priests enter the Holy of Holies with a sacrifice. And even then, with a chain and bell around his feet, 
Cling, 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 so that when he was in the Holy of Holies moving, the sound means that God is pleased with him. If the person, if God struck down and the high priest is dead, then at least they will, will, they will pull him out because God is not pleased with them. And therefore, this Holy of Holies curtain, and when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain torn in two, isn't it? We don't know about that. Torn into two means to say that now we can access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, so you can only enter the holy place by what? By the blood of Jesus, not based on your, your, your good works. By a new and living way through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. He is now accessible. Jesus was telling the disciples, this is the new covenant. This is the New Testament. Now, God is coming, manifest Himself near. That's why we call Emmanuel, God with us, isn't it, in Christmas time? Because God descend and come down to us. Let us now then draw near. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place where God's presence was, and only once a year with the blood of a lamb. However, because of Christ, every believer has full access to God at any time, a privilege Old Testament saints didn't have. We can now enter His presence while walking, while driving, eating, working, whatever you are doing, running on your treadmill, walking like me, walking around the park, God is accessible. We should always confidently enter His presence because our perfect Lamb, the Christ, was slain for our sins. I am quite certain that some of us here have kind of know someone, and as a result of knowing someone, you have access to certain things. Am I right? I remember when I was in uh, Hong Kong 20 years ago, um, my host owns a large factory in uh, just the border at a place called Changsa in the in Canton province. Large factories. And so she brought a couple of us to his, her factory because she supplies lots of clothes to, to Target, to Kmart, and here as well, a lot of jeans and all that. So, so when we cross over from Hong Kong to China, and uh, we don't have to go through the usual means because she frequent in and out of uh, China and Hong Kong. Um, she has special type of pass and all that she bring them across to a special place for our passport, and then she just pass by all these immigration people, say in, in Cantonese, they are with me, they are with me, they are with me, and then we just cross, you know, uh, access in a sense. And here, Jesus 
is doing that, then now we can access to God because of Jesus. Why do you think we close off our prayer often in what? We pray this in Jesus' name. It is to remind us that we can come to God the Father because of Jesus, through Jesus. So, one first thing that I believe Jesus wanted to reveal to His disciples, teaching them to call God our Father, is the personhood of God. God is a person, and then God is accessible, the accessibility of God. I believe the third thing, among many other things that I believe that Jesus wanted to convey, uh, the third one, I believe Jesus wanted His disciples to know that God is close. God is near. The closeness of God. The closeness of God. I mentioned to you that the word Father only appears 14 times in the Old Testament. And even that, not personal, but corporate level as the nation of Israel. Just in the Gospel of John alone, the word Father appears 134 times. 134 times in the Gospel of John alone. The idea of God near, close, like our relationship with our Father. And of course, the word Father is, is Daddy, Dada, you know, in his dad. So when, when, he, when Jesus taught His disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, clearly Jesus was linking His well-defined sense of intimacy and affinity with the Father to the affinity His disciples would enjoy with God. He was introducing them to a sense of the Father's loving care, intimate interests, and concerned. Matthew chapter 7 gives us one occasion when he asked this question. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Last week, I talked about our genuine and meaningful and sincere prayer should be sincere, not just like a pagan babbling words in a sense, because the Father already knew what you were asking. There was a story about in a small town, persecuting attorney caught his first witness to the stand in a trial a grandmotherly elderly woman. He approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, Why? Yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people and you talk about them behind their backs. You think you are a rising big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you never will amount to anything. Yes, of course I know you. And of course he was stunned and shocked. 
Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Williams, do you know the defence attorney? She began to reply, Why? Yes, of course I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. I used to babysit him for his parents. And he too has been a real... He's lazy, bigoted, he has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Yes, of course I know him. And at this point, the judge ordered the courtroom to silence and called both counsellors to the bench. And in a very quiet voice, he said to them, if either of you dare to ask her if she knows me, <laughs> you will be in jail for contempt within five minutes. Of course, it's a humorous story to say that God knows us. And when Jesus asked, teaching, teaches His disciples about God, to address God as our Father, the closeness. Corrie Ten Boon, the great Dutch Christian, tells how she listened to trust God when she was in a German concentration camp because of the model of her father. As a child, she would call out in the evening, Papa, I'm ready for bed. And her father would come to her room and pray for her before she went to sleep. He would then place his hand gently on her face and say to her, Sleep well, my dear, I loved you. She would remain very still, she said, because she wanted to feel the touch of his father's hand as she fell asleep. And years later, in the concentration camp, she remembered to the feel of her father's hand on her face and when lying on a wretched dirty mattress she would always say oh lord let me feel your hand upon me let me feel your hand upon me the tenderness and the nearness and the closeness of god the father that jesus is trying to introduce to us and tell us, now you have access. Now this God is near you. Let me close off with this. I, many years ago, I read of this book. I'm going to skip these verses. I read of this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. It's a beautiful book very touching book, very warm book. Um, I, I love the, how Brendan able to express in many sense of the gospel. And I particularly was touched by this story that he mentioned in his book. He said he say there was once a pastor who visited one of the members of his church a man who had a terminal disease. And in one of their visits, the man asked the pastor, Pastor, I want to ask you about something. When I pray, it helps if I imagine God 
sitting in that chair right next to my bed. And I turn my head towards the chair and pray, imagining that God is there sitting on the chair. Can you tell me whether is that appropriate? Is there anything wrong with praying this way? And the father said, no, of course not. God is everywhere. As the psalmist says, he is an especially present help in times of need in uh, Psalms 46. So sure, do pray to God as if he was sitting in that chair. And then a few weeks later, the pastor was in his office one morning when he got a phone call from the man's daughter telling him that her father had passed away in the night. And then she relayed this to the pastor. She said, Pastor, it's strange that he died with his head resting on the seat of the chair next to his bed. And the pastor realized that as death came near, the, this Christian man simply just laid his head in the lap of his heavenly father, his Abba, his daddy, who he was talking to at the time. Our Abba father, who is always near. And the Bible says, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who believe him, to those who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. Believe, receive. You are a child of God. You have access to God. You can come to God because of Jesus Christ. He is your daddy. He is your heavenly father. He is near. He is accessible. He is a person. This is the prayer Jesus begins by teaching them how to address God. He is your heavenly father. Heavenly father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come and hear your word. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, you stood up. You taught your disciples to address God as our Father. It, might, it must have blown their mind away coming from a Jewish culture, the background. They relate to you as a father of a nation, never as an individual believer. But you have broke ground. You came. You make what is New Testament is because now we have access to God. Now we can come to you because of Jesus. I pray for each one of you here this morning. If you have never uh, accepted and believed and received Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you will, and He will come near to you. He will reside in you and be very close to you. I pray for all of us who have been Christian for hundreds of years combined. I pray that you will experience His special touch his nearness, his closeness, and his tenderness, that it will revolutionize the way you live your life here on earth because Jesus is close to you.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.